Al Jazeera podcast. Why has Nigeria failed to deal with recurrent violence? Hundreds of people have been killed and injured in attacks by armed groups in Plateau State. What are the root causes of this violence and what does it mean for Nigeria's future? I'm Laura Kyle and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now, and all of them are joining us from Nigeria. In the city of Zaria in northwest Kaduna State is Issa Sanusi, Nigeria Country Director at Amnesty International and a former journalist. In Jos, in Central Plateau State, we're joined by Chris Kwadja, Associate Professor at the Centre for Peace and Security Studies at Nigeria's Modibo Adama University and Country Director for the United States Institute of Peace. And in Bokos, where some of those attacks took place, is Musa Ashoms, the Commissioner of Information and Communication for the Plateau State Government. A very warm welcome to all of you. Musa, first of all, tell us in your words what happened over the weekend. First of all, I want to thank Al Jazeera for this platform for us to air what has happened to us on the plateau on the eve of Christmas, a village called Rush, which shares boundaries between Bokos and Mangulok government, woke up with in blood, tears, and sorrow. We're thinking that was just the end of it because there was a military intervention. Then lo and behold, communities, about 22 of them, in Barikiladi and Bokos, went under the same experience and even deadlier than that of Murush. And um, as a government, we are sad, we are saddened by this situation. People have lost their lives and livelihood. People have um, run away from their homes from their ancestral lands. They are taking refuge either in camps or with their family friends in other locations. So we woke up as a state um, on a Christmas Eve, mm. Christmas Day and Boxing Day with carnage, with um, terrorism, with annihilation, with killings, with pogrom. And it's quite disheartening. It's a sad situation. You wouldn't wish your enemy to pass through such um, a nasty experience. And it will interest you to know that in these killings, no, life, no lives were, uh, were spared, whether you are a minor or you're an old woman or you're mm. sick or you're you are disabled. Everybody that was alive, was uh, that didn't escape, was killed. So it is a sad scenario. It's a sad experience. We will not, want, we will not wish that this happens again in the future. Musa, what was the military intervention? Because this attack went on all weekend, around 48 hours. Why was the military not able to stop it? I wouldn't want to speak for the military because they have people that are eminently qualified to do that. But it led to me, when you have this military precision in executing this um, DASTAG Act, where 23 villages at almost the same hour, the same minute, the same second were attacked, so you know that it was well planned. It was mm. sponsored. It was it was aimed at clearing at, at clearing the entire communities, at cleansing the entire communities. And um, what we as a people are asking for is enough security. For example, when these kind of carnages were happening in Borno, Adamawa, and Yobe states, they they made sure that um, citizens of those communities were made part of the policing of such communities, where you have the civilian joint tax force. When we have our young people that can defend the community, you can be, they can be profiled 
by the Department for State Services and they, they, then um, bring them to speed and make them become part of the security architecture. For okay. example, you can bring Wait, sorry, them I'm just going to jump in there because we will get we will get back to to the policing and and what more can be done in just a moment. First of all, I want to just get a bit more about the actual attack over the weekend. Chris, as Musa says, it was well coordinated. Over 20 communities were attacked in different places over an extended period of time. Suspicion has fallen initially on Fulani herders, with witnesses saying they heard the local Fulani dialect. What do you know about who was responsible for this? Well, th thank you. Thank you very much. I think, for, for me, the, the, the point uh, is that we are confronted with a very serious security dilemma that is driven and sustained by organized criminal groups, PLATU and beyond. And the, the key issue for me is beyond just struggling to name the persons, uh, whether be it from a religious or ethnic lens, uh, there is a problem on ground. And that problem is that criminal groups are involved in deadly attacks that are sophisticated, highly coordinated, and the level of lethality we we'll, we'll see is one that raises the question about what the state is supposed to do. Okay, and, and again, we will get on to what the state is supposed to do, but who are these criminal groups and why are they attacking? We don't, I don't know why they are attacking. Regardless of why they are attacking, human lives are involved. People have been killed. People have been displaced. People have been dispossessed of their livelihood. For me, that should be the question. And that should be, that should be the focus of okay. a conversation of this nature. It certainly will become arrested. the focus in a minute. Let's just bring Issa in for a moment, because I do want to get to uh, the crux of the attack over the weekend, as far as we can at this stage. Issa, what light can you throw on it? Well, um, you know, in Nigeria, we have been having this kind of things happening over a long period of time, mm. especially in the last 10 years, we have been having these deadly attacks happening. But for Amnesty International, the most important thing is the failure of the Nigerian authorities to stop these uh, killings and to bring the perpetrators or suspected perpetrators to justice. That is the question, because mm. we believe that as long as uh, these things will happen and nothing will happen afterward, uh, government will just issue condolence you know, statements and sympathy messages, and you hear the next attack after a few days. So we are gradually seeing a buildup of impunity whereby people believe that they can carry arms into a village and kill people and get away with it. And we believe that under international humanitarian law and under international uh, uh, human rights law and Nigerian constitution itself, the duty of protecting the people and their property is solely and squarely on the government. So okay. we are seeing increasing failure of the authorities and that is the biggest issue. Musa, what's your response to that, that the biggest issue here is the failure of the authorities to protect the people? Um, you know, when, when people get killed, what their relatives that are alive always think is that government has failed them. And government is in layers. 
we are, like I said, it's not a blame game day. For us as a state, we've lost our citizens, we've lost our people, because even as politicians, we shouldn't be politically correct at this moment. It is a situation where we should look for solutions so that we don't go through the same circle, cycle all, all the time. Like he has said 10 years, it's even beyond 10 years. This is something that has happened for over two decades. And um, we cannot be having the same thing reoccurring day in, day out. As a government, you know, the Constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, the primary responsibility of government is the protection of lives and property. But we have um, a state government that cannot, uh, that does not command any military, does mm. not command any police, does not command even the civil defense, because orders come all the way, all the time from above. That's why we are conversing and soliciting and coveting for state police. For example, if you are in Bokos, where I am right now, and you see strange movements and you belong to this community, you will know them. But when the military man is from Sakwato, is from Bayelsa, is from Undo, he might not understand the workings, the internal workings of these communities. So when you want to gather information, homestead approach is always the best. People that live within the communities, when they see strangers, they spot them, they give intelligence, and you act on it. We're not faulting the military of Nigeria, but the, the, the program that has been happening year in, year out, the solution to this um, menace is for us to have state police, is for us to get a new approach. The, the, the idea of um, having a central police, a central military protecting our communities has, um, to a large extent, not yielded the right results. So as a government, we are also advocating, we are soliciting for state police. We can okay. bring in our young people. So okay, that let's, let's, let's bring in Chris, because agency. Chris Moose has got a, a strong point there, hasn't he? That, that one of the key problems here is that the policing is centred at the federal government level, not at state level. Yes. And if there was a community policing mechanism, then perhaps that might reduce the levels of violence that we are seeing spiralling out of control. Well, what's your response to that, Chris? From, from the perspective of uh, USIP, uh, we have been supporting some dialogue in Mangu under what we call the Network of Nigerian Facilitators. And one of the key lessons learned from that engagement was that people are saying, we are committed to peace building, we are committed to living together, but there's a huge crisis of policing, both in terms of the inadequacy of policing personnel on ground, as well as the whole question of accountability that has not been there. And that when you talk of peace building outside a framework of accountability where justice is handed to victims, where impunity is dead with it, then the whole issue of public safety becomes something that cannot be achieved. And for us, we want our safety to be guaranteed as a condition for us to engage with one another to live peacefully as we've always been. But the question for me is, when we talk of crisis of policing, how many policemen do we have and women in the country? Today, the point is that even if you want to deliver on policing, the personnel is not there. And mm. that is where the governance of security becomes very important. And it's not just the, 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 the police, even the military. 
We are talking about a country of 200 million people with about 300,000 policemen, 300,000 military personnel. When you divide that citizen to ratio, I mean, police to citizen ratio, you are talking about one police personnel to about 600 people. Hmm. How do you deliver on security? So, Chris, in you, you that could, Nigeria's, Nigeria's got and a relatively new president, uh, President. Tinubu, he has come to power promising exactly that, more soldiers, more police, better pay, better equipment. First of all, do you believe those promises? And second of all, how far is that going to go to help address the causes of violence? I believe that promise to the extent that, as president, he is able to undertake a security sector reform where... These issues are addressed in the context of looking at the effectiveness and potency of the policing architecture in the context of the national security strategy that is on ground. Two, the commitment of the leadership of the military and the security institutions to deliver on the mandate of this security responsibility on the basis of the expectations of the people. Now, the, for for for. For many of these people, security sector reform should be one that is anchored on the principle of the decentralization of security in the country. Mm. Because you cannot talk of security where a centralized security arrangement is implemented, looking at the distance between the federal sure. and the community level. Okay. So, Issa, I'm, I'm going to jump in there because, Issa, I want to get back to the events on the ground. If I could just bring Issa in here at the moment, because as we've highlighted already in the programme, these attacks are not a new phenomenon. We've seen hundreds of people killed over the last five years, maybe longer, in such attacks. They're called land grabs. It's people fighting over land. Can you tell us, Issa, what's happened to the villages and the land after they've been attacked and the people have fled well, um, mostly after this, uh, you know, uh, atrocious attacks, um, government uh, make promise people become displaced. People hardly go back to their. Only a few people uh, could manage to go back and uh, resettle in their land. Mm. Uh, people, the younger people, move to into the cities and the urban areas. Uh, the remaining people have to move to. Uh, internally displaced persons camps, and that actually creates a uh, bigger humanitarian uh, concern across Nigeria. Nigeria is now littered with uh, internally displaced persons camps everywhere. And um, most of these people uh, never get justice, which we believe at Amnesty International, that is that should be the first priority. And they continue to remain in those internally displaced persons camps without justice, without any support, without even even a, you know, an understanding that something is being done to address the reason why they were displaced from their homes. So the country is you know, increasingly and gradually uh, creating uh, a humanitarian crisis mm. that is not shrinking but expanding, and it is going to be disastrous for everyone. Musa, when we talk about justice for people who've been forced out of their homes, who've lost their lands and lost their livelihoods, what efforts are being made on that front to re-establish these communities or, or are they simply lost forever? 
And we hope that our people that are displaced will go back to their ancestral homes because there's this attachment between land and our people. That's why they are this resilient. That's why even after this program, they still pack their pieces and move back to these communities. As a government, we will support our people, we will help them rebuild. Just like I told you, the vice president of Nigeria was here in Bukos, and he has come to have an on-the-spot assessment of what has happened to us. So we want to thank the federal government for that. We've told our people that our intervention is not going to be two minutes noodles when you cook and afterwards you are left to face your predicaments. We as a government, we are responsive, we are responsible, and we're going to respond appropriately. We're going to make sure our people go back to their ancestral homes so that we rebuild their lives again, even though life will never be the same again because you will have a mental scar where people came at night at the, at the dawn of the night to slaughter your relations, to shoot guns at people. Sometimes when people go back to such communities, they have trauma. As a government, we're going to make sure we give them an exposure that will lessen these traumatic experiences. And um, like I told you, we have more we can do in an atmosphere of peace and tranquility. Mm. We have been doing well already. And it's surprising that um, after some months of some level of peace on the plateau, these attacks came in. We've lost is, people. Is there, are, you, lost are you satisfied wealth. when you hear that, that, that people will feel uh, comfortable enough, safe enough to return to their villages after this violent attacks? Well, um, I, 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 think, I think the issue is, you know, um, many people, uh, even if they go back to their uh, land, uh, they hardly, as we said, uh, they hardly live in peace of mind because they will always be bracing themselves up for the next attack. And that is really not so good psychologically. And uh, the issue is, you know, we have constantly been saying, why is it so difficult for Nigerian government to just conduct an investigation apprehend the uh, suspected uh, perpetrators, bring them to justice, so that even those who have the incentive to do this kind of crimes will see the outcome of what happened to others who have committed a similar thing, and then they will be deterred. But the continuous failure to bring these people to justice, to even conduct an investigation is, is you know, the government has resources, it has the power, Government can do anything if it has interest in it. Unfortunately, the lives of these ordinary people, I don't think it is a priority for the government. And that is why whenever we say hey, conduct an investigation, because you cannot know the truth and you cannot be able to introduce reforms and improvements that will deter these attacks without conducting a thorough and effective investigation. Unfortunately, the government has repeatedly and consistently failed to carry out this kind of investigations. And that is why, uh, as an organization, we believe that that is why these criminal gangs and these gunmen are finding it very easy and are, mm. are feeling that they can just get into any community and commit a crime. They can surface in Plateau this month and they can surface in Zampara State next month and nothing mm. will happen to them. Chris, do you agree with that? Do you agree problem. that the key problem, or one of the key problems here, is that this is simply not a priority for the government to investigate and find out who's responsible and bring, bring the perpetrators to justice? Yeah, the prioritisation of citizen security should be the foundation upon which every government must operate. Outside that, you have the kind of crisis we're dealing with in Plateau, in Kaduna, 
and several other parts of Nigeria. Secondly, accountability. Where people are not made to account for their actions and inactions. Now, accountability must be framed at two levels. Accountability from the perspective of criminals who perpetrate these crimes, they must be held accountable. Accountability from the perspective of government officials with mandate to protect citizens, where they fail to do that, they should also be held accountable. But Mr. on both sides, the vice president is there, as you say. The, the vice president the is there as visiting. Sorry, just to interrupt again, because the, we can bring Musa in at this point because he's saying that the vice president is there where these attacks are taking place. Can we expect the government to launch an investigation in the coming days and to truly seek out those who are accountable and bring them to justice? Um, on the plateau, what we're after is um, peace. That's why you will see our people say, we just want peace. We're very hospitable people, we're very peaceful people, we're very, very industrious. And um, his coming here is, um, is going to um, give us confidence that these um, assailants, these terrorists, will be brought to book very soon. He didn't just come here alone, he came here with the chief of defense staff, with the national security advisor, and other military apparatchik with other um, sister agencies. Our wish and as our, our aspiration as a people is that these our killers should be brought to book. These killings should come to an end so that our people will go about their businesses without uh, molestation, without their lands being grabbed, without um, their livelihood being taken away from them. Like I said, we can defend our land, but that is not our duty. The responsibility is um, given to, to, to people that have it in the Constitution. So we cannot take the responsibility of defending our land by ourselves, because that is what the government is there to do for us. And at our okay. level, like I said, we do not recruit, we do not have the power to command, we do not have the power to give orders. So those that are responsible to do that, I believe we will do that. So that okay. next year in 2024, we'll not be talking about this thing again. Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Issa, do you think we will be talking about this again in 2024? I, I believe so. Uh, I'm not. Uh, this is not a something to be happy saying. Mm. But I don't think uh, there are any signs of commitment to accountability, commitment to bringing perpetrators to justice, commitment to ending of uh, impunity. I don't think uh, there is any sign whatsoever to show that the, uh, anything will change in 2024. Uh, we have to remain always on the side of optimism. But with the current government, you know, I don't think they are ready or they have shown any commitment to doing something different from the previous governments uh, who were in charge when thousands of people were slaughtered across Nigeria. Uh, we have to uh, continue to push our leaders uh, to do the right thing, to prioritize the lives of these people in the rural communities. That is the problem. The mm. rural communities are, you know, gunmen are being on rampage in these rural communities, not only in Plateau, not only in Benue, across Nigeria. So why are these, these places left as if they are ungoverned or something or there is no authority? So there is no any sign whatsoever uh, that the authorities are willing or are committed to doing anything to change the current situation we have.
Okay, well, on that note, we will have to leave our discussion there. Many thanks today for all our guests for joining us. Issa Sanusi, Chris Kwaja and Musa Ashams. This episode was produced by Mohamed El Aichi, Victoria Gatenby, Abla Klar and Gemma Harris. Studio sounds by Yasir Rahmani. The programme was edited by Anil Anandan, Zaina Bada and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Thursday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, we're looking at some of the stories that define 2023. From drones in Ukraine to the rise of chat GPT. That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.